Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good to see you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 2 here in just a little bit. Acts chapter 2. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, that'll be on page 909. Acts chapter 2 on page 909. Uh, for the last uh, several weeks, we've been talking about the name of God for the last couple of months, really. Uh, and we're wrapping that up next week, and uh, we'll talk about that more in just a second. But before we get into our lesson, I wanted to encourage uh, men. We have a, a service project if you're part of the men's ministry. And if you're a man and you're here, you're a part of the men's ministry. Uh, so we've got a, a service project this Thursday evening uh, where we are going to provide a meal and serve a meal to some of the uh, uh, folks in our community who use our building on Thursday evenings. There is a sign-up list uh, right outside this door. So far, me and Carter are in charge, and we've got it. I mean, we can handle it, uh, but we'd like a little bit more help. So if uh, you can show up on Thursday night and help us out uh, prepping the food, it's, hey, we're ordering food. You don't even have to cook anything, okay? We're just going to uh, put it out there, serve the people, clean up afterwards. Not really going to be very hard, uh, but we're going to serve this, uh, this community group. So if you can come and be a part of that, if you've got questions about it, you can come and see me. Uh, also, next Sunday, I want to first recognize, I know we've got a lot of people visiting with us, uh, probably coming in for the holidays and that sort of thing. So glad that you are here. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. Certainly, uh, J.A., let's remember next week we'll have a lot of visitors probably. Let's be mindful of that, as you always are. Uh, but let's be mindful next week we'll have a lot of visitors. Uh, not only maybe someone be sitting in your seat, and that's okay, uh, but make sure that you greet people and you tell them that you're happy that they are here because we are happy that they are here. Uh, also, next week uh, in the small auditorium for our Bible class, Class. Uh, our kids' classes will all be the same, but teenagers and up will all be in the small auditorium, I believe is the plan. Uh, teenagers and up next week in the small auditorium, and Topher and I are going to tag team a Bible class. Uh, we don't know exactly what we're teaching yet, but it's going to be great. Uh, so uh, please make sure that you come and be a part of that too uh, at 9 o'clock, and then we'll have our regular worship at uh, 10 o'clock. We will not have a PM service uh, next Sunday, uh, so be aware of that. Combined worship service in the small auditorium for everyone, teenagers and up next Sunday morning. Nine o'clock, regular worship service, a great worship service next Sunday morning at 10, and no PM service next week. We've been talking about God, and we've been talking about uh, who He is, and what does that look like, and what does that reveal about Him. And uh, mo- last week, uh, we talked about God the Father, and you may uh, remember my little uh, multi-tool here that we used to try and talk about the Trinity, or the Godhead, or uh, that sort of thing. And, and probably if I was going to describe or uh, think about how, how is this like the Godhead, this is the, you, you can't see it because it's a small one, and I didn't borrow uh, Evan's larger one, but uh, there, there's a pair of pliers. That's the, that's the big tool on a multi-tool is the pair of pliers that you can see. And we might think about that. Well, you know, that's, that's God because he's big. It's big and noticeable and we can recognize that. And then we might think about Jesus that we're going to talk about next week as the light because, you know, he is the light of the world. See what I did there. Uh, but what about the spirit? You know, the spirit is the one that, that probably we, we just don't talk about as much. And because we don't talk about it as much, maybe even the Bible doesn't talk about uh, the Holy Spirit as much as it does God the Father or God the Son. We have a hard time sometimes understanding. He's, he's those other tools that are, that are in there and we can, we can see them and we can pull them out and, and, and understand them a little bit. But, but it's not as noticeable as the light and not as big and noticeable as uh, the, the pair of pliers. But this morning we want to talk about God the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and, and what is He and what does He do and, and what can we learn about Him as we think about uh, the Holy Spirit this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at uh, a number of different things. There, there is no way I have absolutely no hope uh, for us to, in you know, 25, 45 minutes uh, to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit and all of its, uh, everything that goes along with it. But we do have uh, two great Bible classes going on right now on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock on uh, spiritual beings and certainly the 
the Holy Spirit is one of those. So if you're interested in that sort of thing and you're not already coming to that Bible class, I would certainly encourage you to come and be a part of that Bible class or any other Bible class that you'd like to be on Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to talk about really four things uh, in about three points. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Scripture talks about that. Jesus talks about that. John the Baptist talks about that. Scripture uh, talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of our religious friends talk about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there's, there's definitely some differences, I believe, in what the Bible says about what baptism of the Holy Spirit is versus what some of our religious friends, uh, or maybe even we understand, uh, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and let's talk about this. Uh, this is something that... Uh, it is good for us to know. Uh, it's a very important uh, bit of information. It's a very important uh, thing that happens within Scripture, within the church. Uh, but I think that we're going to go from the things that, that may be uh, least applicable or least uh, helpful to us in our daily lives to, I think, at the very end, we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us the most in our daily lives, okay? So we're going from uh, big, and all of this is big picture, way, way, way up there, you know, 30,000 feet view. We're going to try and zoom in a little bit towards the end about what about you and the Holy Spirit, uh, but right now we're looking at this, these uh, two very important events when we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right, Acts chapter 2. Uh, again, most of us are pretty familiar with this, but let me uh, set the stage for anybody who may not be. Uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, um, Jesus appears uh, to the apostles and to several other folks, uh, and he has conversations with them. He's around for about 40 days after his resurrection, uh, and then he ascends up into heaven. About 10 days later uh, is the day of Pentecost, and this is what we generally refer to as the birth of the church, the first day of the church, certainly the day where the, the first gospel sermon is really preached because the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that hadn't happened up until this point. So this is the very first gospel sermon that Peter is going to preach later on in Acts chapter 2. But it starts when, with the apostles at least, and perhaps, perhaps just the apostles, gathered together at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues like fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues and as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So here we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we know that can be true because if we go back to Acts uh, chapter 1, or, uh, verses 5 and 8, Jesus references this and he says in verse 8 that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, that's fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning, okay? This is also a, a fulfillment of a prophecy that John the Baptist makes about Jesus in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16 says that I'm baptizing you with water, but someone who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is uh, a prophecy from John the Baptist and from Jesus that is fulfilled here. And this is, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it's manifested in, in, in every time uh, that this type of thing happens. And this is a not completely unique event, but we only have it recorded, this type of event recorded twice in scripture. And both of them are manifested by or demonstrated by or shown by the ability to speak unstudied languages. Okay, did you hear what I said? The ability to speak unstudied languages, others say in Scripture says, the ability to speak in tongues. But tongues are not gibberish. Tongues are not words that we cannot understand. Tongues in the Bible are languages that we have not studied that we are able to speak. 
If you go to th- throughout the rest of Acts chapter 2, you'll see that there are people in Jerusalem because it's Pentecost. It's a big uh, uh, Jewish holiday that Jewish folks are supposed to gather at Jerusalem too. And there are people from all over the world. And it says that they hear them speaking their language. It doesn't say they hear them speaking some unknown language. They hear them speaking the language that these people speak. So the apostles go from not being able to speak these languages. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And all of a sudden, miraculously, they're able to speak these languages. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know that because Jesus said this is what would happen not many days from now. And then not many days, 10 days later, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're able to do this. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Again, manifested by the ability to speak in unstudied languages. All right, go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, let's see what happens there. Acts chapter 10, verses 42 through 48. Acts chapter 10, verses 42 through 48. Now this is sometime later, uh, maybe even... 10 years later, at, at minimum, probably seven years later, uh, perhaps 10 years later, it's, it's some time later. Uh, and and the, the situation here is, is that Peter, who we know from scripture, uh, he's received a, a vision from a Gentile named Cornelius uh, to come to his house uh, through, through God. It gives him a vision to go see Cornelius. He goes and sees him and he's preaching uh, the word of God to him, beginning in verse 42. We're, we're wrapping up the end of his sermon there that he's, he's teaching them uh, as he's meeting with them in his house. And he, God, commanded us to preach to the people and solemnly bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, Jesus, all of the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Listen to this. While Peter was still speaking these things, he's in the middle of preaching. It'd be like it happened right now uh, while I'm preaching, okay? While Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the word. And all all the circumcised believers, so all the Jewish believers who came with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speak, they were hearing them speak with tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered, can anyone refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as we did? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they, then they asked them to remain a few days. So this is the only other time that something like this happens, that all of a sudden, seemingly out of the middle of nowhere, uh, the Holy Spirit comes down. And again, it's manifested through the ability to speak in unstudied languages, the ability to speak in tongues. They hear them speaking in these different languages. And notice, notice what Peter, and this is important because it's not, it's not some theologian or some preacher or some Christian thousands of years later or not even hundreds of years later or not even a year later or not even a day later. It's Peter, the apostle, in the moment notice what he notices hey this is the exact same thing that happened to us referencing Acts chapter 2 therefore how can we say that Gentiles can't be baptized into Christ what I'm telling you is that in Acts chapter 2 what we read on the day of Pentecost and in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family these are watershed moments for the church these are history changing moments for the church First of all, in Acts chapter 2, the history-changing moment is salvation is no longer in the law. It is in faith in Jesus Christ. Watershed moment for the Jewish community that's gathered there on the day of Pentecost. That is world-shattering. 
that, that shakes them up. That, that's, that's a change to everything that for thousands of years, their people have followed, okay? Watershed, history-changing moment, and God displays and says, hey, I want you to know what's going on and how important this is, so I'm gonna pour out my Holy Spirit on these people, and they're gonna be able to speak in these unstudied languages in these tongues. Something that did not happen every day. A very odd, a very unique situation. And then about 10 years later, seven to 10 years later or so, there's another watershed history changing moment. Okay, we've talked about this before, but it, it always amazes me that for the first 10 or, 10 or so years of the church, everyone who became a Christian, just like you're a Christian, was either Jewish by blood, they were Jewish by their family, or they were proselytes to Judaism who became Christians. But in Acts chapter 10, Another thing that would shake them up just as much, Gentiles go straight from whatever they were to being followers of Jesus. They didn't have to go into Judaism first. They didn't have, the men didn't have to be circumcised. None of those things had to happen. And again, that's a, that's a, a history changing, history shaping moment for the people who are there in that day and for the church that we live in today. So that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And those are the only two times in all of scripture that we have events like that, that are, uh, that, that happen. And, and again, it's significant because it's, it's not me. It's not me 2000 years later saying, Hey, look, these two events are the same thing. Peter said that the day that it happened, Peter said, look, how can we refuse baptism? How can we refuse Christianity? How can we say these people can't be Christians? They received the Holy Spirit the exact same way that we did at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter two. He, the apostle Peter, who was there and experienced both days, he comes to that conclusion. And that's important. And the, again, the importance of those things is, is history shaping watershed moments uh, for Christians in the early church. Now we know uh, that, that some of our, friend, our, our religious friends today uh, may, may believe in, in something different about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they may believe that, yeah, you need to be baptized into Jesus like most of us would believe, like all of us, I think we would believe. Uh, but, and, but they believe that there's something else that happens uh, that is a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives you some sort of uh, miraculous ability. Well, it, it's of note that just a number of years later, maybe up even upwards of 40 years later, uh, that, that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, remember there's one Lord, one faith in how many baptisms? There's just one, okay? There, there's not a baptism into Christ and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's just one baptism for the Christian. And it's been that way for centuries. It's been that way scripturally since it was, since it was taught. We are baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. We'll reference those verses here in just a few minutes. So that's, that's something that's important about the Holy Spirit that we need to, to be aware of. And, and I hope that you know all of that already. Uh, but I doubt that, I know that there are probably some of us that, that may not know those things. If you've got questions about that, I'd, I'd love to sit down with you and, and look at scriptures together with you even more. Let's consider next uh, another fact about the Holy Spirit as we're thinking about and trying to understand this, this least understood and least known part of, of the the Godhead of the least part known of God. Uh, turn over to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight. Let's look at uh, other ways that the Holy Spirit uh, manifested itself. Uh, there's a couple of different words that I was trying to use and, and uh, 
this, these next two points, this one really has uh, two separate ones, and then the third one is something that, uh, that all of us enjoy. If I were to say perhaps levels of gifts of the Holy Spirit or measures of the Spirit might be words that you might say. The Scripture tells us that perhaps Jesus was, was given the Spirit without measure, uh, that he had the Spirit without measure. But are, are there measures of the Holy Spirit? I would suggest to you that, that perhaps there are. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses uh, 12 through 21. Acts chapter 8 Verses 12 through 21. It says, uh, here, uh, Philip, who, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, is one of those uh, first seven deacons who we would uh, generally think of as deacons. Uh, Acts chapter 6, that's where we first meet Philip. Uh, here, here he's in Samaria. If we think about Samaria, remember the Samaritans? Remember why somebody has to be called a good Samaritan? Because the general thought was Samaritans aren't good. So they had to be given the title, the good Samaritan. Remember the, the woman at the well uh, and, and Jesus' apostles are, are disturbed and confused about why Jesus, first of all, would talk to a woman and certainly why he would talk to a Samaritan woman. There, there's a prejudice from the Jews against the Samaritans. But here, as Christians, Philip, a Jew, who is now a Christian, is going into Samaria to share the good news of Jesus because it's for everybody. Okay, so that's the context of what we're talking about. Uh, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 12. But when they, these Samaritans, believed Philip proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. So Samaritans, who are part Jewish, but not fully Jewish. They're becoming Christians at this point. Uh, And it says in verse number 13, even Simon himself believed. Okay, Simon is referenced earlier. Let me tell you who he is. He's, He's a magician. And what all does that mean? I don't know, but I know the people in Samaria were impressed by the things he was able to do. What all was he able to do? Scripture doesn't really tell us, uh, but he, he's doing something that is noticeable and noteworthy. Uh, and they're claiming that he's a, 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 a man of God and, and that sort, type of thing. So, so he's, he's doing something. He's doing something. Exactly what it is, I'm not sure. But it says even Simon, as he's listening to Philip and listening to his preaching, he himself believed. And after being baptized, he becomes a Christian. He continued on with Philip and he was observing signs and great miracles taking place. And he was constantly astounded. Now it's of note in verse number 13 that when, Philip, when uh, Simon is, is following along with Philip and observing the signs and great miracles taking place, that it is Philip who is performing these signs. Go back up to verse 6. It tells us that, that Philip is performing these signs and miracles. Okay, So Simon the sorcerer or Simon the magician, uh, he is, uh, become, has become a Christian just like many other Samaritans did. uh, And he's following along with Philip and he sees Philip performing signs and wonders and miracles. Verse number 14. Now when the apostles, okay, now I hope you know this, but I want you to know this. There's a difference between the word disciple and apostle. There's a difference between the word disciple and apostle. Oftentimes, uh, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, those guys, they're, they're called disciples, but they are also apostles. There are the 12 apostles. We are all disciples of Christ, but we are not the apostles of Christ. There's a difference, okay? Uh, in Acts chapter one, when they replace uh, Judas, there were certain requirements that you and I do not fulfill in order to, to fill that role as an apostle. Now we can think about Paul as an apostle. Well, he says he, he's born in an untimely manner, but he's still an apostle because he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus has the right to do that. And apparently that's what he did. But Apostles here is, is different. When he says the, the apostles here, uh, that Samaritans are becoming Christians, that means that those 12 or those 11 who were with Jesus and walked with him and received different blessings than your average disciple received, they're the ones who are going to come down. Come down. 
Verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, definitely two apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon, remember, he's the sorcerer. When Simon saw that the spirit had been bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom, on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you suppose you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for that your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray earnestly uh, to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. Uh, first of all, let's recognize that, that apparently uh, Peter wasn't very happy, Right. And he says, Simon, you don't know what you're asking. Your, your heart's not in the right place. Uh, you have no part about this. You better repent and pray to God to forgive you. Okay. Uh, but what does Simon notice? Simon notices that there's something different about what the apostles are doing. And, and what does he do? He notices it. There's something to notice. There's something different about how these people are acting before or what they're able to do, perhaps before the apostles lay their hands on them versus after the apostles lay their hands on them. Now, we're going to come back very quickly to to Acts chapter eight. But I want to tell you from scripture and suggest to you that not every first century Christian could perform miracles. Not every first century Christian could perform miracles. We hear about the people who could perform miracles. Why? Because that's noteworthy. Why? Because those are the stories that we, we want to hear about. And, and those are the ways that, that in the, in the New Testament times, the first century times, that the message was, was proven to be true before it was all written down and collected in, in a, a single place like the New Testament scriptures. Uh, we, we read about those things, but, but not every first century Christian. I would dare say the, the vast majority of first century Christians could not perform miracles like speaking in tongues or healing people or doing that type of thing. Again, scripture tells us that. We're not going to read it, but if you want to turn there and, and mark it for another time, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 4 and following. It describes these things. It says there are gifts of the Spirit. There are ministries of the, spirits and, of the Spirit, and there are workings of the Holy Spirit. In verse number 7, it describes these things as profitable, but not miraculous. Profitable for, for the people who had them and for the church, but not miraculous. As a matter of fact, some of the ones that it describes, these, these workings, uh, uh, these gifts, we would describe them as mundane, not miraculous. Uh, it, it says specifically in, in there in first, uh, first Corinthians verse chapter 12, uh, that, that wisdom is a work of the Spirit. It says that knowledge and faith are works of the Spirit. So, so these are, are gifts of the Spirit. They're, they're works of the Spirit, but they're not miraculous. And we see biblically that, that not everyone in the Bible, not everyone in the first century, and, and we see today in our lives that not everyone and not every Christian could perform these types of miracles. But we go back to Acts chapter 8. Again, whatever happened to these folks that were Christians, they've been baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They were Christians. Um, and then the apostles come down and, and they lay their hands on them. That's significant because multiple times in that passage, it says uh, that they come lay their hands on them. They receive the spirit. Simon noticed it's through the laying on of hands. Give me this ability so that I can lay on my hands. So it's through the laying on of the hands of the apostles. I'll say this. Is it possible that miraculous gifts were passed on another way? 
Maybe. But the only way we know biblically, the only examples we have biblically of the Holy Spirit, of, of miraculous abilities being passed from, some, from someone who had them to someone who does not have them, it's always through the apostles laying on their hands. And, and everyone that we read about in Scripture that has these kinds of ability, all of those people have the opportunity to have been laid on the, by the hands of the apostles. So could God have done it a different way? Maybe that happened in a different way? Maybe. But the only example we have, the only scriptural truth that we know is that the apostles laid their hands on these people in Acts chapter 8 and perhaps other times, and then they're given the ability to perform these types of miracles. Now, what does that mean for us? Again, in Acts chapter 8, Simon noticed there's something different. There's something noticeable. So he's interested uh, in in that type of thing. What does it mean for us that uh, only the apostles in scripture seem to have this ability? Uh, Again, I would suggest to you, and I would say this directly, uh, that the, the ability to perform miracles in the New Testament church, miraculous things, not necessarily workings of the Spirit, not all gifts of the Spirit, but the ability to do things that are supernatural in the natural world was only given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And that not everyone who had that ability to perform miracles could pass that on. Why do I say that? Well, remember in Acts chapter 8, who's performing miracles in Samaria? Philip is. So if Philip, who could perform miracles, had the ability to pass on, why did the apostles have to come down to do it themselves? If he would have been able to do it, they would not have had to come. But they did, and we have no record of Philip laying his hands on someone to pass along the ability, just the apostles. So I would suggest to you that the ability to perform miraculous deeds by a person only happened through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Now, I'll also say this. It could be a little tempting or a little confusing uh, that it says there in Acts chapter 8 that they had, uh, the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them yet. That they had, it sounds as if they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. But if, if all that's happening in Acts chapter 8 is that the apostles are coming down and laying their hands on them so that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at all, then that means that every time anyone receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, it would have had to have been the, the apostles laying on their hands. And the next point is going to prove that that's impossible, okay? Because you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and no apostles have laid their hands on you. And that would have been true for thousands upon thousands of people in the first century. Let's move to our last point. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? And again, this is the one that most directly relates to you today. Uh, I look at scripture and I don't believe that anyone living today has been baptized by the Holy Spirit the way it happened in Acts chapter 2 and, verse, and, and Acts chapter 10. Because I think those were unique watershed moments that God said, I need you to understand this. Salvation is in Christ in Acts chapter 2 and that salvation is even for the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. They were specific purposes for specific reasons. Um, but I do believe that each of us have the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. It's up on the screen, but you can turn there as well. Uh, This is at the end of that first gospel sermon that Peter preaches, uh, and uh, they have recognized their sin. They recognize their shortcomings. And what do they say before this? What can we do about this? We recognize that we've fallen short. It says in Acts 2, 37, Peter says, now when they heard this, here's what it says, uh, they were pierced through the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, brothers, what should we do? 38. And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. Again, uh, the reason Acts chapter, uh, the earlier part of Acts chapter 2 and the reason Acts chapter 10 are different, the reason Peter notices uh, that it's different in Acts chapter 10 that these people are receiving the Holy Spirit without being baptized is because in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 at that very first gospel sermon, 10 years prior to Acts chapter 2, he sets up, this is the way it's normally going to be. You become a Christian, including baptism, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But let me suggest to you that, again, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not for the vast majority of Christians who have ever lived, even those who were there on the day of Pentecost, was not a miraculous ability. It was simply the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Uh, There Paul tells Christians, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of God of Christ, uh, he does not belong to him. Uh, Here's another one of those verses that talks about uh, the Trinity or the Godhead, uh, kind of all in one verse. However, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So notice the, the unity there that the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And if we don't have that spirit, then we don't belong to God. Christians, you have the spirit dwelling within you today. Every Christian who has ever lived has had that. Look at verses 16 and 17 of that same chapter. The spirit himself, here's one thing the spirit does for us. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who's ever uh, obeyed the gospel uh, and been baptized into Christ has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what they did in Acts chapter 8, when the apostles came down and laid their hands on them, that was a a, a greater measure, probably we would say. Definitely a different measure uh, of the Holy Spirit. They were able to do miraculous things. They were able to do that type of thing. Uh, But each of us have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're beginning to wrap up. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll read verses 13 and 14. If you're using your pew Bible, that's page 976, 976. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We learn two things there, uh, that we are sealed in Christ by the Spirit and that the Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance. Now, what's a pledge? What's something that promises something more? We get a, a little bit of it now, but it promises that there's going to be something more. Well, where, when is that something more? Well, it's in eternity. It's in eternity with God that we get to, to be in the, the full presence of God. But even today, we have the pledge uh, through the Holy Spirit of our eternal salvation that's going to come. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, go back there. We were there just a second ago. Romans chapter 8. Three verses 26 through 28. Romans eight twenty-six through 28. Another thing that the Spirit does to us. And I would say that as uh, Paul says in uh, Ephesians that we have the, the Holy Spirit as a pledge to us, that that means we're enjoying some of the benefits of the Holy Spirit here today. Not fully as we will in eternity with God and in his, his entire presence, but we are enjoying some things that the Spirit does for us today. Here's one of the things that the Spirit does for us. Uh, Romans eight twenty six. 
And in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Okay, there's one thing. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. One specific way he does that is he intercedes for us in prayer. And look, notice verse 28. Uh, the Spirit intercedes for us. He intercedes for us in our weaknesses. He helps us in our prayer. And we know that, uh, that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know, Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Let me suggest to you, based on verses 26 and 27, that it's through the Spirit that that happens. God is working through the Spirit who dwells within you for your good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, which I believe that would certainly be you as a Christian today. The Spirit is working in your life today. Do I understand all the ways that happens? No, I do not. Do I believe that it happens? I absolutely do, because the Bible tells me that it's true. Let's look lastly in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 22 and following. Verses that you're familiar with. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you know, we, we sing the song, you know, we, we have uh, Bible classes on it. We do vacation Bible schools on it. Uh, but do you believe that the Holy Spirit dwelling within you is genuinely attempting along with your willingness to produce these things within your life? We, we are sealed by the Spirit. He's given to us as a pledge and he's working in our life even today. He's working in our life through our weaknesses. He's working in our life through our prayer and he's trying to help us to become more like Jesus. And it says in verses 22 and following of Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit is love. The Holy Spirit working within you wants, to, wants you to love better, wants you to have more joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, Christian, is that you? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk in step with the spirit. Uh, the Spirit of God, it is one of the harder things to understand in Scripture. It's not as clear. The, the Bible, to me, doesn't seem to be as clear about the manifestation that God has revealed himself in the Spirit as, as it is through God the Father. The entire Old Testament is just about seemingly about God the Father over and over and over again. So we, we have a pretty good grasp and understanding of, of God as, as Father. We understand that, that picture even. Uh, we, we have a great understanding, perhaps, of, uh, of God in, in the flesh that we'll talk about next week in Jesus because that's what the whole New Testament's about. And we understand and we grasp that we understand his, his sacrifice and his resurrection and the, the importance of all those types of things. But the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God revealing himself as Father and God revealing himself in the flesh as his son, Jesus. And that spirit dwells within you as a Christian and is working to God's will for your good. Take great encouragement in that. Take great comfort in that. And, and yes, there are things that I definitely do not understand about exactly how that works. But I take tremendous comfort in the fact that God loves me enough to be with me every day in every decision, in everything that I do, in every mistake that I make. God is with me and he's helping me and he's chosen to do that through his spirit. This morning, let's remember the words of Acts chapter two and verse 38. 
Uh, he says to those people who are interested in, in fixing the problem that they have with God, what do we do to fix this problem? He says, well, you already believe uh, they've come to know and understand that Jesus is the son of God through, through Peter's teaching. And he tells them, repent, turn away from things that are not of God and turn towards God, be baptized into Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if, if you haven't done that, if you haven't uh, confessed the name of Jesus as your Lord, if you haven't taken on that responsibility and that privilege to have Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, if you haven't been baptized into Christ when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then why not do that this morning? Brothers and sisters, God is with you all the time and he's trying to help you the best that he can. He's an awfully powerful God. He's trying to help you the best that he can to be who he wants you to be. Are you submitting yourself to allow him to work in your life? Is there something getting in the way? If you want to let us know about those things and and talk to us about those things and let us pray for you and help you in those things, this is an opportunity to do that. So here as we stand, if you have any needs, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.